At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is foliar feeding month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where we bring you conversations with experts in fields relating to urban farming and dive a little deeper into some of the most important issues of our time. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today's bonus podcast is a rebroadcast of our monthly seed class where our seed expert Bill McDormand shares some seed wisdom and discusses news and concerns that might occupy the thoughts of those of us that are saving seeds. Welcome, Bill. Hello, Greg. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, Thank my you. Oh, yeah. I always love chatting with you. I look forward to our monthly seed chat. So let's just dive right in. We're going to talk gardening with grains tonight, I think. Yes? Well, we'll talk about that as, as much as we can. Folks are welcome to write in their questions, and we'd love to talk about whatever is important to you. We promise that, that for this show, and we're going to follow through with that also. And that doesn't have to be about grain. Anything to do with gardening and seeds, I think we can at least get you down the road to find an answer unless we've made that mistake ourselves, right, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Which we probably have. One of the questions in my podcast interviews, by the way, Bill, we recorded interview number 330 today. Oh, my gosh. Urban Farm Podcast. You can find the podcast at urbanfarmpodcast.com. And one of the questions I ask people about is their failures. What have you Uh failed at in gardening and what did you learn from it? Let's actually start there, Bill. Why don't you share with everybody one of your seed-saving failures and what you might have learned from it? You know, I'm always talking about this in our classes and let me just think for a minute maybe just give me a few minutes here into the show to try to dig up a particularly embarrassing one (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's the point is that even the masters i would say especially the masters make really embarrassing mistakes or have disasters happen that they didn't plan. And in fact, it seems like the older a gardener or a seed saver gets, the more humble they are. It's only somebody who's trying to impress everybody that's new that says, oh yeah, I've got that figured out. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Well, you know what? I'll I'll share one with you. This isn't isn't to do with seed saving, but it is for growing plants. In 2003, I dreamed up this idea here in Phoenix called Urban Farm Nursery, and some of our listeners out there might remember this. So my buddy and I, we planted out 80,000 plant starts in September, October, and November of 2003. And we were growing them as organic, you know, as <laughs> yeah. so, and we were yeah. putting them in four-inch pots. So they were going to be those, you know, the plant starts that you buy at the local nursery. So we had organic <laughs> plant starts 
that were, you know, perfect for the season. And, you know, they were growing really nicely. And January that year turned out to be just like this January this year, which was, you know, just stunningly beautiful. And our plants weren't ready yet. They weren't big enough. They were still just, you know, like two inches Uh tall. So they weren't saleable yet. And then in February, it rained every weekend. You know, we had this big dream of growing out all these 80,000 plants. And you should have seen my backyard. We even had them on the roof. It was an amazing sight. So they were beautiful. They were ready to sell in February, but people weren't buying as much because it was raining on the weekend. So by the time the end of February rolled around, we had... 50,000 left. And at that point, that's in permaculture. That's what we call a pollution problem. What am I going to do with all these plants? We're outside of the window of people being able to actually buy them and plant them. So my solution was I put an email out to my email list and I said, all right, I'm giving these away. Come and get them. And on the way out the door, if you want to, you know, drop something in the donation basket, you know, please do. And we blew through, I don't know, 30, 40,000 plant starts in the course of a weekend. It was an amazing site. But here's what I learned from it. As an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 14, which was 1974. As an entrepreneur, I should have known better. And this is the really embarrassing one. I shouldn't have started with 80,000. Start small. Right, exactly. <laughs> start, you know, start with 8 or 10,000. It would have been much more easy to manage. We would have, you know, absolutely had our market full because I could have sold 10,000, which we did. <laughs> right? Yeah. Way less stress, too. Right. And way less stress. Well, and, you know, it essentially put us out of business because, you know, you don't withstand the investment of 80,000 little four-inch pots and plants to go in them and all the water and all the energy. My lesson was don't start so big, you know, start plan better and start smaller. And really the truth is, is that it worked out perfectly because that's not really the business I wanted to be in. Oh, see? Trying to teach you something. You know what? If we're listening, there's always something to learn. Yeah. Thank you. Last summer, I grew chapalote corn. Oh, yes. Which is one of the oldest corn, what we know as the United States. I think an archaeological dig found it 4,000 years ago outside of Tucson. And it's beautiful. As often happens, I've noticed with corn varieties, if they're from the lower latitudes, like Chapalote mm-hmm. originally, and you move it north. So I moved it up to Cornville. Right. It gets really tall, especially the first year. Ah. And so my corn, some of them, were, I would say, are 14 feet tall. Some of the stalks. It, be- it was beautiful. And my wife, Belle, had planted sunflowers in the same bed. And there were sunflowers that tall. I think oh, there were Hopi sunflowers. And so I was so proud. I went out on this perfect summer day. The hillside's green behind it. Everything is at its peak. And I took picture and I posted it on our Facebook page saying, who's going to win? The big dogs are fighting it out to see who's <laughs> going to be the tallest, you know? And that night, a windstorm took both of them out. I came out the next morning and everything was laying flat almost. And it was like, I'm, you know, on the way I'm sure glad I took that picture yeah. the night before. But, you know, I'm not really conveying the reality of what gardening's about. The lesson I learned, and if, actually a friend of mine, Thunderfoot, had said this. He said, boy, that's awfully tall. You might want to think about having a support for that. I ended up putting in some fence posts and some wire and standing it back up, and I ended up working out okay, you know. It was yeah. still but still, I was so proud, and I think that's what got me, you know, my pride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nature said, no, 
not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> Let's talk about grains. You would recently were at a grain conference, grain school, wasn't it? Grain school. Every January, University of Colorado, Colorado uh-huh. Springs, the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, which the director of is a co-sponsor. This was our third year, and boy, did we have fun. We had some of the best people in the country. Steve Jones from the Bread Lab in Washington State was there uh-huh. with Demetrios, who's the largest turkey, red, and wheat grower in the United States from Kansas and everything in between. It was just great. And we had scientists from the university come talk to us about glyphosate and about gluten intolerance and modern grains and how ancient and heritage grains, they're actually getting data now that find that it's way less irritating to the human bowel. Uh-huh. And so that people that have had to give up bread and wheat, you know, and there's a lot of noise out there about that because of gluten and the whole gluten-free movement. A lot of those people now, after healing themselves and going through a regimen, are able to come back and start eating bread again and pasta if it's made out of these older heritage grains. Right. And as we were speaking earlier, we had Dr. Ralph Bush, who teaches at the Air Force Academy there in Colorado Springs. He's actually a metallurgist and engineer. That's what he teaches there. But his passion, Greg, is gardening grains. And he doesn't have that big of a garden. And every year he comes in and he shows these little plots. This year he did purple Egyptian barley. And he did durum, which is one of the world's oldest wheats. He does that for pasta, I think. And he's got turkey, Demetrios' turkey red. And he grows that to make his own cookies and his own pie crust. And he's known at the Air Force Academy because he'll bring in, uh, say, a pie to one of his classes. And he'll pass out pieces of pie. What's so special about this, Ralph? You know, we sell great. And he goes, I grew the apples. I grew the wheat. I ground it fresh. I made the pie crust. And this is my gift to you guys. And he says it just blows them away. It gives them a touch and a grounding into the world that they don't normally get. And it happens with a guy that's not supposed to be able to do that, you know. That's my overall message tonight, if you get nothing else, is that get re-excited about growing grains. And you do not have to have a combine. That's sort of our industrial speak, you know. We think we have to scale up really big to be able to do that. And nothing could be further from the truth. There's real excitement happening nationwide now. Just grow enough to make a pie or two or six or seven loaves of bread for the year the way Ralph does and get real enjoyment out of it. And trust me, you'll be organizing in your neighborhood to get more later. You know, (laughs) and maybe that's what we should all be doing. I love it. And I've fallen head over heels in love with einkorn and emmer. I just made fresh ground, fresh made linguine last night out of Durham wheat. Did you grow it? Sure. or I bought it from an organic grower. There's sort uh-huh. of a network. You know, and you can tap into this network at the Rocky Mountain Sea Lions in our Heritage Grain Trials. But I found it actually, I got mine from BKW Farms in Marana, Arizona. So it's, they're relatively locally grown. I know Ron Wong, the farmer. I went down there and talked to him and got it myself. And the other name for Durham is Semolina, famous pasta wheat in the world for 2,000 years. Yeah. And there's just nothing like it. You don't need sauce. I put a little Parmesan, a little fresh basil. I am <laughs> so happy <laughs> with my local fresh grain. So anyway, think about it out there. And if you have any questions, we're here to answer them to help get you started. Well, cool. So well, let's jump in. We're 15 minutes in. I've got a couple of questions. There's Rhonda Adams from Newark says, how do you encourage new gardeners to save seeds? Wow. Good question. 
Great question. Yeah, that's our job. <laughs> yeah. There are 150 million gardeners in this country, and such a small percentage of them are saving their own seeds. And two generations ago, even in America, almost every single one of them was. Every single gardener and farmer was saving seeds. You know, what happened? You know? I mean, I think it is worth it's a conspiracy, a uh-huh. propaganda campaign, you know, to make us think that it's too difficult or hard right. or we don't have time. And, and boy, those are myths. It is super simple to save seeds. What I would do, if they're friends yours, is hand them some seeds that you have saved. Your favorite things that you're all lit up about. Maybe it's an heirloom from your family. Maybe it's something you just found, like David Shield just found a small handful of seeds of the original wild peanut brought to North Carolina with the original slaves in the 1700s. And it was grown in alleyways and out back because this is what the slaves wanted to eat and they weren't allowed. And they weren't Mm -hmm. big like regular peanuts. And peanuts weren't even eaten by, you know, the landed elite at that time. Right. And so they had to hide them. Well, it turns out these darn peas have twice the nutrition of regular peas and are delicious. And so they're like this heirloom treasure from the 1700s. So take that to your friend's house and drop a few in their hand and tell them the story and let them see the light in your eye. Yeah. And they'll realize they have a treasure that you just can't get any other place, and it consummates your friendship in a way. Because now you have a responsibility. you got to grow them out and save some because your friend gave right. them to you. And your friend's going to ask you about them. And then you get to do that with other friends. And if you don't tap into that, if they don't want to tap into that, then I guess they're just not ready yet, huh? Right. I don't know. Yeah, well, and one of the things that we did, Rhonda, here in Phoenix is we started this epic seed event called the Great American Seed Up. If you go to greatamericanseedup.org, you can see a short video on it. Basically, what we do is we bring in seeds. Kari and I, our goal is to get 10,000 seed savers with seed banks in their freezers or stored here in the Phoenix metropolitan area. I like that number, 10,000. So we decided to do that, put on this event called the Great American Seed Up, where we bring in 70 different varieties of seeds and people can scoop them up and buy them in bulk. So that gets them excited about the seeds. And then we have classes throughout the day. In fact, this past time we showed a movie and see the untold story, right, Bill? Right. That's a good way to get your friends excited yeah. is get a copy or you can download or stream of Seed the Untold Story. That's a good idea. So we showed that on Friday evening and then on Saturday we had classes for people to take on seed saving, seed saving, seed storing, seed starting. So what Bill, Bell, and I and Kari have done is we've gone to the educational piece. So we're inspiring people through education. And I'll tell you what, the atmosphere inside the room, the Great American Seed Up, it's like Christmas, isn't it, Bill? <laughs> yeah, they're pushing and shoving, you know, <laughs> to put scoops of seeds in their bags. It's really yeah. great. Everybody gets yeah. excited. Yeah. We use education, Rhonda. And, you know, I personally inspire people by showing them how to do something like save seeds or, in my case, grow a fruit tree. And then, you know, I hold it up metaphorically and say, and you can do this too. It is super simple, you know. Yeah. Well, and one of the things we do in seed school, you know, if people think that seed saving, if they're growing up under this myth that it's difficult and it's not worth doing myself, you know, then what we try to do is point out that some of their favorite things, tomatoes and peppers and lettuce especially and peas Mm -hmm. and beans, and now we can throw in wheat and barley and rice and Mm -hmm. oats are all self-pollinating crops. 
And so what that means is that you don't have to worry about any cross-pollination or making a mistake. I mean, it can always happen, but it's really low percentage. Yeah. And so all you have to do is save the seeds. It's easy, you know. And in the case of tomatoes, you can still eat the tomato. Right. You know, so I always thought that was the best way to get American gardeners involved in seed saving was to have a potluck dinner or have them over for dinner and serve fresh tomatoes, fresh sliced, you know, just picked. And they have them bite in and go, where did you get this tomato? And they go, they're mine. And they say, what do you mean they're yours? You grew them? And you go, yeah, I grew them, but I grew them from my own seed that I saved. And I've been doing this for a number of years now. And guess what? It's starting to be so much mine. I'm going to name it after you, (laughs) my friend, because I love you so much. There you go. Here you go. Now it's up to you to save some seeds to your own tomato, you know. I mean, there's lots of ways to do this, and I think that's the great adventure. The other thing to maybe point out or get them around are other people that have already been through this. Once people fall into this rabbit hole, they're never going back. Seed savers get to be really obsessive after a while, you know. It's so much fun and so bountiful and so beautiful and connects you so deeply with larger Mm -hmm. cycles that, you know, once you get started, you'll never go back. Yeah, yeah, that is the case. You know, one of the cool things going on here at the Urban Farm is I have lost count, but I know I have parsley, nasturtiums, cowpeas, basil, mint. These are all things that go to seed and come back year after year. You know, this time of year, I have forests of parsley on the property that just plant themselves wherever they plant themselves. Rhonda, I'm not even saving the seeds. I'm just redistributing the seeds, let nature do it in my yard so that it happens. And that's another really cool thing that really gets people lit up, you know, when they come on tours is just to show them how easy it is by letting nature be. So isn't that part of what I know you and I are trying to learn in this life of ours is that so much of what we're learning is unlearning in a way. It's learning to let nature take its course where appropriate. And so, you know, Greg, you could show up at a seed exchange with some of your seed in bags, mm-hmm. take you a few minutes to go out and get some, yep. right? This is Greg's parsley, Greg's basil, yep. and so on. And you show up at a seed exchange, and you're sitting there at the table giving these away, and you go, wow, my basil is eight years selected yeah. for plants that survive in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, which is invaluable because the only ones that survive are the ones that survive the heat and the weather there. It's starting to be different. And we think now that even happens during a season, let alone over a number of seasons. So here's Greg, the expert seed saver, right? You know, that's what it looks like from the outside. You know, you're doing all this work to adapt all these crops and save the seeds for Phoenix, Arizona. And as you said, you're just letting it happen. Just it's letting just it out, so, right. Yeah, so incredible. I love that. Yeah, it really can be that easy. So Rhonda, I hope that helps. I know that was a lot of data, but you know, it's, it's really about inspiring people, getting them excited and, you know, sharing with them, yes, you can do this too. Yeah, you know, there's a great website called Seed Broadcast, and they have been interviewing people all over the United States now for years that have made that journey and that are now seed savers. And they do little audio recordings and they have them all posted on SoundCloud. And so you can talk about an inspiring few minutes. Whenever I want to get rejuiced about seeds, I just listen to some of these stories that these guys, it's not just about making your gardening more sustainable and your community more resilient, but it's about life-changing 
religious experience. Uh, you know? yeah. I mean, time after time, people just get blown away and change their lives because of what happens to them when they say seed. So, you know, that might inspire you also. That's a great resource. That is seed, S-E-E-D, B-R-O-A-D-C-A-S-T dot org, seedbroadcast.org. Cool. Connie from Homer, Alaska. Connie, I'm, I'm going to actually want some more information from you, so get ready to type me some more data in the little Q&A section. So Homer, Alaska is very cold, and this is what Connie says. I had some broccoli plants go to seed without really producing. If I save the seeds from them, will the offspring be more inclined to go to seed early? Think about that for a minute, Bill. But Connie, what I want to know, is it really that warm in Homer, Alaska that having broccoli go to seed prematurely? That's an interesting question. So if she saves the seed from them, will the offspring be more inclined to go to seed early? Well, theoretically, you know, what I would want to know is when she planted them. You know, there's a really, really strong urge in plants to go to seed mm-hmm. as the days start to get shorter. So if you don't put your broccoli out till July, you know, and it's already past the equinox, and so the days are starting to get shorter. It may just get the wrong information in this wiring and go, oh, I give up, you know, let's just go to seed. Lots of times you can get it to head if you plant it earlier, uh-huh. you know, and it'll head up before the longest day of the year. Uh-huh. You might be able to try that. Let me just jump in here. Broccoli also is very cold tolerant, so you might start it earlier as well. That's a good idea. Yeah. You know, places like Homer, I think, are down a little bit lower in elevation, and the days are so damn long. It mm-hmm. makes up for some of the lack of heat. You know, in the Matanuska Valley, they grow cabbages that weigh. So maybe she could help us 15, 20 pound cabbages. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You know, so maybe there's a chance for big broccoli. I have another suggestion for you, you know, is maybe somebody's already gone through this. Maybe somebody's grown broccoli and only saved the seeds to the ones that work best up there and started to adapt it for that such high of a latitude. Uh-huh. And and if there is, I have a couple of places you could look. There's a, a long-time old seed company called Denali Seeds, and I think they were based out of Anchorage. And I don't know if the gentleman's still doing that or not. He was one of those guys that fell into the seed rabbit hole years ago. And had a little seed company up there. And then we had a student come to one of our seed schools, I think, three or four years ago. And I'll think of her name in a second. Anyway, she started a company in Alaska called Found Root. One word, Found Root Seeds. They're up and running and selling seeds right now. Seed season has started. I saw an email from her the other day. And so she would have a wealth of information about this also. I am on Denali, D-E-N-A-L-I, seed.com. And there is Uh a cabbage, Alaska's giant cabbage. And this is bigger than the four-year-old girl that's standing behind it smiling. (laughs) This thing is huge. See, I told you. Yeah. So Denali Seed Company, they're still up and looks like they're still up and running and they have a shopping cart that you can order seeds from. And give Found Root a look also. Very beautiful, hardworking young couple that started about 25 or 30 years behind Denali. But, you know, it points out what we always talk about, Greg, is that look locally, not only for your seeds, especially for your seeds, but the information about them. You know, dig deep, find your own network, build it. 
You know, that's what we're trying to do with the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is all the people that live up and down the spine of the Rockies, you know, we have a lot of similar problems. And so when we make mistakes, we can tell everybody about them. And when they're successes, we can hear about them. And then we can share seeds because they'll work at similar elevations or in the desert or whatever. And so do that up there. And those are two really great sources for Alaska. Perfect. And that's found, F-O-U-N-D-R-O-O-T.com, foundroot.com. Yep. Great. All right, Diane from Mesa. Hey, Diane, how are you? Diane from Mesa says, how do you determine how much grain to grow for keeping chickens and personal use? How much area do you need, say, if you're growing Durham and Semolina? Yeah, you know, the yields vary so much, not only from, say, national data, from large industrial farms, and you can look up data about them. Then when you scale it down to a garden it gets different, and then it gets different for your own conditions because of where you are and maybe how much experience you have. So it's going to be really hard for me to answer that. Here's what I would do to look. I would look in a book called How to Grow More Vegetables by John Jevons, Uh, J-E-A-V-O-N-S. The back third of that book has yield data, and they have grains also and fruit trees as well as all the vegetables. So for however many square feet you plant, they'll tell you how much the range of how much you can expect. Perfect. And Ralph Bush just gave us his data for his gardens in Colorado, and I'm in the process of sourcing that. So if you're still looking, email me, because I'm looking for that data also. And eventually it will be on the RockyMountainSeeds.org website, but it's not there yet. So if you want to email Bill at RockyMountainSeeds.org, I'll put you in a little folder. When I get the data, I'll get back to you. And if you don't hear from me for a while and you still want to email me again, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bill has the same problem as I do, and that's overburdened email inbox, I think, yes. It doesn't mean that I don't really want to help you or answer the question, however. JJ, I don't know where JJ's at. JJ says, just today I noticed some volunteer red leaf lettuce because I let my lettuce go to seed last year. I want to collect the seed this year because it will have grown twice in my yard. Absolutely. So, Bill, why don't you kind of review for us, because we cover this in Seed School Online, but review for people the value of letting plants go to seed over multiple years in your yard. Well, you know, one of the things we've forgotten as modern gardeners and farmers, this is our hubris, if you know the word. We are so full of ourselves and our modern technology that we forgot everything that we eat came from wild plants. And the reason that it's edible is that we improve it. You know, we save seeds from things we like. Right. But there's a balance there. You know, the more you just let it go to seed, the more it reverts back to the wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time something grows, it, there's millions, if not billions, if not trillions of interactions happening with its ecology around it. And frankly, we don't even know what all of that is. And the great plant breeders and even the plant breeding textbooks, if you were going to go to school and learn about biotechnology and you were getting your undergrad, you'd have to read the principles of plant breeding by Allard, A-L-L-A-R-D. And even in that book, it says sometimes nature is better at winnowing out and selecting for characteristics than even the best plant breeders 
characteristics that we don't even know about. It's sort of this confession, and that's the confession we should all be making now. And so those of us that are getting into seed saving, especially in fringe climates like Mesa or somewhere else, you know, or Homer, Alaska, or on the coast of the Carolinas, quickly realize that things are different. They just work better. If we right. save the seeds from the things that work best, they start working better where they are. How do you explain it? Well, I just tried, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they just do. It's nature, baby. Just, and if you get around some of the best plant breeders now that I know, some of the seed stores that we found, Joseph Lofthouse. I was just talking with Steve Jones at the Bread Lab. And they, they Greg, last year they grew out 10,000 varieties of wheat looking for the best variety to make bread. Wow. That? What are the best ones for bread? They selected out the seeds for a 1,000 of them that they thought were really good. And they made hundreds of these little thimble-sized loaves of bread. And actually, oh. tips tasted it. That's how they figure it out. It's really a great process. You know, we're all waking up to this process of growing and saving the seeds to things in your own place may be way faster and way more profound than we ever dreamed. That's the side we're all going to, is the good plant breeders are starting to sound like mystics. <laughs> they can't explain it. They don't write it down. They just save the seeds for the <laughs> things that they really like or make better bread. That's what's fun about this, is it doesn't have to be complicated. And even Carol Depe, I'll just leave you with this, the great Harvard geneticist who taught for 25 years at Harvard. Genetics, here's your professor, and now she's a home seed saver. And she said, you know, when it comes to selecting things, just listen more. Watch more. Let the plants tell you more what's yeah. going on. She said, the older I get, the more I realize I'm getting out of the way. It's almost like the plant reaches out and talks to you. And she uses this language. Those are the ones to say, thank you. We have our own relationship now. These are the offspring we're going to pass on together. You know, that's where I'm going with all this. And that's why we want to name it something. It's ours. It's special. It's new. And, you know, that's probably how all of the heritage and heirloom vegetables and grains that we ever found got their names. And as Greg and I were talking, there's probably 20,000 varieties of wheat being grown in the United States wow. in the 1900s. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the adventure we're on. We want to get it all back somehow. We got some additional input from Connie. She said, usually the season is not long enough to allow the plant to go to seed. These were some plants that I started using the winter sowing method, placing seeds in milk jug during the winter to sprout whenever they desire. And I think I left them in there too long. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, I will plant a few this year. If nothing else, you'll see what happens. And she says well, I can it, use them, them for microgreens and sprouts. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, if they were mine, I would save them. And yeah. you're right. That points out a really great distinction for people in short growing seasons is that mm -hmm. the amount of time it takes to grow broccoli is way different than the amount of time it takes to grow broccoli seeds. So you, you may be into season extenders, you know, right. small cloches or covers or or greenhouses or whatever. But that's where tapping into your network of other seed people up there will help you. They'll tell you what they're having success with and what yep. the real problems are. Mm -hmm. And steer into the difficult. Embrace the horror. If somebody tells you you can't save good broccoli seed in Alaska, do it. <laughs> you know? They tell me now they're growing coffee in Idaho <laughs> somewhere. Whoa. Yeah. And I for sure they're growing it in California, oh, which yeah. was thought to be. And they're getting $16 a cup for the coffee at coffee houses. Wow. Do it. My buddy Scott Murray is a uh, coffee 
planting consultant in San Diego area. I was just talking to him the other night. We're going to have him on the podcast soon, talking about growing coffee in California. So a very interesting note, they had a conference in California a couple of weeks ago that he spoke at. They so underestimated the desire for people to go to this coffee growing conference in California, they turned away over 400 people. Oh my That's God. That's how much excitement there is to it. Yeah. Coffee school. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. We're, we're going to have to do coffee school. <laughs> yeah. So bring in the experts. This is yeah. good. JJ says, if I want to share seeds with my friends and neighbors, what should I notate on the envelope? That is a great question, JJ. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's no seed police and labeling, and there's no laws around it, you know, for the free exchange of seeds. What makes them important usually are are the name, you know, how long it took to grow it Mm -hmm. is really good information. You know, we just looked through eight buckets of seeds that were left from a great seedsman to Ann Paytu, and it was really great when he put dates of planting and harvesting Mm -hmm. on his packets. So he passed away this past summer of cancer, so he's no longer around to ask. And so just pretend like somebody's going to find this packet of seeds in 25 years. You may give them to your friends, but they may put them in a drawer. Something will happen or whatever. So always pretend like it's going to be 25 or 100 years when somebody finds it. So what kind of information do you want to put in the time capsule? You know, descriptive information. I mean, don't, you know, feel like you have to do this, but if you're inspired. And then the best part of all, and Dr. Gary Nabin taught us this, if there's a place or you have the time, tell a little story about it. Give these people a reason to grow and save the seeds themselves. Embed a little bit of your own passion in that packet, you know, because seed stories are the reason we know to save them. You know, we need the seeds and they're magical. But we as humans won't interface with that system and continue this 10,000-year-old dance without stories, maybe even dances and songs, you know. We'll know we're really good at this when we get back to seed songs about our favorite varieties, but we don't have those yet. So tell a story about it. And so, you know, the obvious answer, and I've gotten this back from people, they go, yeah, but I've got 36 things I'm giving away. Well, you know, then you're going to have to cut back, but maybe you're looking at this differently or wrongly in the beginning anyway. Maybe you should only be passing out two or three things that you really, really care about, enough to do all these other things. You know, Greg Shane just came by my house. He's the guy who really brought us to the world, Glass Gem Corn. He brought it to me, actually, from his teacher, Carl Barnes. And so Greg's, you know, he's the seed guy for Glass Gem Corn, and he always has seeds. And he wants, and actually, I'll just say this now. If you're interested in growing Glass Gem Corn and helping Greg steward it into a beautiful future, and you want him to help you do that, here's the master who's willing to take on 50 new students. He'll supply the original seed. He'll answer all your questions. Hell, he may even come out to wherever you live and look at what you're doing and help you. I mean, this is a world-class opportunity for new corn growers especially. And so, you know, but that's what he's doing. He's focusing only on a few things and passing them out, you know, at this point and making sure that's done well. So consider that also if you want to pass seats on and what you need to write on the packet. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. So we just have a few minutes left here. I want you to tell everybody about Seed School Online. Okay. You know, that's a great story. And just share a little bit about Seed School Online, would you? Well, thank you to Greg Peterson and the Urban Farm for following through with a dream we had years ago in a meeting with Toby Hemingway and others about how to use modern technology to share what we know. And, you know, you think, oh, I'll just sit down and do it online. You know, and it's not like that, people. I think <laughs> yeah. 
you know, for the seven episodes we have that you can now download and listen to at your own convenience, it took me 40 hours for each of those episodes in the beginning, way more time than I ever thought possible. And basically, it took uh, 35 years of my personal experience. We boiled that down into a, you know, a six-day seed school. We've done, you know, 30 of those. And then we got into seed school in a day, which helped us get the information down even tighter for a day-long program. And then we took the best of that and all the feedback and put it into seven one-hour webinars is basically what they are. Mm -hmm. So that's where it came from. And now, since it's been out for a while, I'm starting to get some really great feedback. Greg, again, I was at grade school, and I'm not at a public event now when somebody doesn't come up, and sometimes it's many people who say, wow, I did seed school online. Thank you. These are master gardeners. These are guys starting seed libraries. These are guys that are teaching seed saving now in their own communities. And they Mm -hmm. say, you know, it just really helped ground me in what I'm doing. And I'm sure they have, you know, people are way smarter than I am, have way more talent, I think, especially as teachers out there. And I applaud what they're doing. But all we got to do was pass on a huge amount of our experiences also. And I think that just, you know, once you realize you're in the middle of that whole big circle and all this experience, it it gives you confidence. Wow, yeah, I do know what I'm doing. You can trust your own intuitions about how to do stuff. You go, yeah, that's how I do it too, you know. That's probably the greatest value for Seed School Online. You know, there is now a tool to get you up and running with all these other people who see the need, you know, for us to get millions and I'm serious, millions of new seed savers, because I think we can. Beautiful. And that actually came out of some other courses that you have done in the past. In fact, I went in June of 2011, I went to the seven-day residential seed school. You guys are still doing those occasionally, yes? Yeah, we're going to do one at Sterling College in Vermont this August first week in August. So if anybody's listening from the East Coast, I just got off the phone today with John Navazio, Uh who is the open pollinated plant breeder at Johnny's Selected Seeds. John's one of our mentors and really one of the giants in North America for the public plant breeding movement. And he's Uh going to come down for the day and help us. So it's a real treat. We're going to go to high mowing seeds on a field trip with Tom Stearns, Linda Prim, who's at the Rodell Agricultural Center in Pennsylvania is coming up. Petra from Fruition Seeds, who started a small seed company a few years ago, has come in to give her practical experience. It's going to be a great thing. And that's what we try to do with all our seven-day programs. And, you know, we did stuff at the Desert Botanical Garden, didn't we, when you came to Phoenix? That's where, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we open up a space and try to cram as much seed stuff in there as we can. (laughs) Nice. Well, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Any other – well, actually, let me run over here and check if there's any other questions. Nope, we're done with questions. It seems like. Any other last thoughts before we sign off, Bill? Yes. Yeah, we've got Seed School in a Day coming up in Prescott, Arizona, March 24th. We've got Seed School in a Day at Northern Arizona, put on by Northern Arizona University and Museum of Northern Arizona. Nice. April April 14th. We've got another Seed School teacher training coming up in April the 22nd through the 27th at the Posner Center in Denver. People want to do that. And then, as I said, it's the 5th through the 10th of August for Seed School Vermont. I had one other one I wanted to talk talk about that we just signed up. We now have Seed School in a Day in Hotchkiss, Colorado coming up on March 31st. 
So those uh, are just, if you want to come meet us, you know, and talk to us, I'm going to be at the New Mexico Organic Farmers Conference, 16th and 17th of February, presenting about utility patents. And then halfway through that, I'm flying out to the Organic Seed Growers Conference in Corvallis, Oregon. If you want to be around the largest gathering of professional seed-saving people, that's where you uh -huh. go every other year in February. Craig, we're sending people to Politi Seed Festival in Politi, Greece in April, a representative nice. and somebody from the Rocky Mountain Alliance oh, is going oh. to the first international conference on wheat land races this wow. summer in Bologna, Italy. I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, but those are places if you're lonely out there and want to come see us, we'll be around at those events. So we're going to be busy. The seed thing's heating up. Climb on, man. Oh, yeah. No. Start saving your own seeds. This is starting to get exciting. And also, I just want to throw out there, Seed School Online is at seedschoolonline.com. You can sign up for that, and that's a prerequisite for the teacher training and some of your other yes. stuff. What we did with Seed School Online, we boiled down a lot of the stuff from the content. Yeah, from, yeah, the content, and you know, and put it into nine classes that you take. You know, SeedSchoolOnline.com. Yeah. One more shout out: Do not miss Greg Peterson's Urban Farm Podcasts, <laughs> folks. I think they're truly treasures. Your interviews with Toby and Abelman. I mean, I'm just Joel Salatin. Joel Salatin. I mean, you've got some epic ones, Greg, and you're getting really good. And I think history will see, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're not on being talked about at the Emmys or the whatever yet. But, you know, this is the most important things happening during our time is that you are capturing consistently the best of these teachers who can teach us so much. And you give them the space to really talk. That's what I like about them. So, cool. folks, yeah, dive into that. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. One quick thing, Diane says, who do we connect to for the Glass Gem Corn Learning? Yes. If you want to do it officially, and you can do this for free, is go to the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance website and sign up as a seed steward. And there will be a little place in there for crop focus and say, I want to grow Glass Gem Corn. All right? And the website for Rocky Mountain Seed is... RockyMountainSeeds.org. Rocky there we go. And, Greg, I got a new URL the other day that points to it, and it's Rimsa Rocks. Rimsa.rocks. Oh, there you go. There you go. RMSA.rocks well, will get you there also. Well, thank you, everybody, for spending you know, the last hour with us. We so appreciate that you would take time out of your busy lives and spend it with us. And thank you, Mr. Bill McDormand, for once again showing up for a awesome awesome conversation on seed saving thank you greg this is so much fun and we'll oh. be back on in a month right yep yep we will be i think we've got dates picked all the way through june so and great thank you once again thank you everybody and as i always like to say farm out and i will catch you on the flip side growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think it starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.
One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.